Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Let's continue our discussion with Professor Austin Chase about his book, Harvard and the Unabomber, The Education of an American Terrorist. In this book, based on the life and trial of Theodore Kaczynski, who came to be known as the Unabomber, Chase traces Kaczynski, education, life experiences, and the trial itself. Professor Chase does not apologize for Kaczynski. Instead, he puts the crimes and the man behind them into a context, examining the links between intelligence and evil and the forces that led Kaczynski to become a serial killer. I spoke with Professor Austin Chase, who lives in rural Montana, and asked him to begin our second conversation by putting Ted Kaczynski in the time and place he thought appropriate. I think an appropriate place might be his birth, May of 1942, and school in the Chicago area, and high school in suburban Chicago, Evergreen Park. Very, very bright kid who uh, did extremely well in school, and uh, although he was considered, a, you know, one of the the um, studious types, the so-called briefcase boys, nevertheless uh, had quite a few friends, belonged to many different clubs, played played a musical instrument, uh, was a member of the chess club, Was uh, helped the math teacher in the high school, tutor the kids who were having trouble with math, was fairly popular in his little group of friends, and uh, but nevertheless, internally, extremely unhappy because uh, he just skipped uh, two grades in school, the uh, sixth grade. He dates that from the beginning of his problems. In the fifth grade, he'd been given an IQ test, and, and uh, he scored 167, and at that point, this teachers suggested that he be uh, skipped into the seventh grade. Parents went along with that, so suddenly Kaczynski found himself the youngest in his class, and at that point he had fewer friends. Later on, he skipped his junior year in high school. So by the time he graduated, he was definitely a kind of odd man out. His classmates were two years older, and at the same time, he began to develop his enormous anger towards his parents because he felt that they'd been pushing him unreasonably hard academically. Ever since he took that IQ test in the fifth grade, when he'd bring back a report card, that, according to him, bring back a report card with four A's and a, and a B plus, he'd get lectured on the B plus. And his parents would say, if you want to get into Harvard, you have to get straight A's. And yet at the same time, his mother in particular, Kaczynski said, was concerned what the other mothers might think of him because he would seemed to be a boy who studied too much. And, uh, and so she pushed him to have more friends and do more things socially. Well, this was a recipe for failure because they were pushing him in two opposite directions. One hand, play more, and the other hand, work more. From that point, he developed this enormous anger towards his parents, which never went away. And when he got to Harvard, then there he encountered a curriculum, which was um, fused with what I call the culture of despair, uh, very pessimistic concerns about how technology might be destroying civilization and the worry about World War III and the uh, possibility of a, the Cold War turning hot, and then his encounter with uh, the Professor Murray, the psychologist, and the, who was a quintessential Cold War warrior and seemed to embody a lot of the things that, um, in, in terms of the Cold War and the threats to us through the 
use by government psychology as a tool for manipulating us began to fit together in Kaczynski's mind. And so we had, in, in essence, two streams converging here at Harvard. One stream was this psychological one, mainly anger towards his parents, and the other, more of a philosophical theory, which uh, turned into anger against society. And he felt by this time he was beginning to feel the, the anger towards society because he himself had become so isolated. So it was a situation where he had been pushed so hard academically that he became socially isolated, and he blamed his parents for having made him into a person who didn't have friends. He did not have outstanding marks in mathematics, and but for a strong letter of recommendation, he would have not have gotten into the University of Michigan where he was a teaching assistant. That's absolutely right. However, at the University of Michigan, he did indeed flower as a mathematician. And he was considered by many of the uh, his professors there with whom I talked as being the brightest student they ever taught. He also solved some problems that some very, very bright mathematicians around the world had been working, trying unsuccessfully to solve for years. He did indeed flower as a mathematician, but it was in a field that really tended to isolate him further. You could add that to another fact, that is to say, his social isolation. I think when you put all those things together, and the Murray experiment, the effects of the Murray experiment, into the mix, you have more than enough to make it understandable what Kaczynski's life was not like ours, and there were elements here that drove him to one step more extreme, to take one more or or two more steps more extreme than anyone else would take, and, and steps that took him over the line. One must keep in mind that he resolved in 19, fall of 1966, he first thought of becoming a bomber, but it took him 12 years to screw up the courage to do it, if courage is the right word. It took, you might say, uh, 12 years brooding over this awful plan for him to get to the point of doing it. And all of this time, these factors that I mentioned were playing on him. And, and I think one cannot underestimate the fact that he felt his reason told him there is no morality. If he acted on conscience he was showing a weakness of will and a weakness of reason, that his reason, therefore, gave him the license to unleash his anger. Do you think that his appointments of, of the reasons why he became who he was are significant uh, alone, or do you think, had he not skipped uh, the uh, fifth grade uh, and the junior grade in high school, would he have been someone different and not uh, become the Unabomber? Well, I think he thinks so. I believe that what makes Kaczynski different from, and from us is, one, in the degree of his anger, and then secondly, the fact that he nursed his anger rather than trying to find out other outlets, more constructive outlets for it or attempted to resist his anger. At Harvard, he began to develop his social theory, which seemed to explain his anger, so that uh, he was able to generalize his anger. His anger was no longer simply at his parents. His anger was at society as large, which he saw as developing in the direction that he'd been instructed in the curriculum, the, the emphasis on technology, and he, his parents' own pushing of him into mathematics 
which would, of course, serve technology so that he was being made into the kind of person he disapproved of, the kind of person who would, was a mathematician who would serve the, the technological society. What that enabled him to do, because he was brighter than most people, was to develop a very elaborate and fairly cogent theory about society which seemed to justify his own personal anger. So the theory magnified the anger. It was like looking at something through a lens and then applying a zoom lens to it. The zoom lens brings everything closer and makes everything look bigger. The theory took his anger, enabled him to take his anger and justify it to him himself as being something more than a merely a personal anger, but an anger at society which he would feel justified in acting out against. Uh, one of his friends at Harvard, uh, uh, who also majored in math, had told me, uh, I quote him in the book, uh, Napoleon Williams, had told me that within mathematicians tend to build the theories uh, which are internally consistent but may not have any connection with the real world. It's not uncommon for mathematicians at at least certain points in their lives to be living in an intellectual cocoon, as it were, not related to anything going on in the outside world, but that eventually mathematicians have to get on with life and do, and some, they'll marry or they will go into law or some other field, and they will be, if you like, immersed or forced to come outside of their cocoon and join the rest of the human race. But Kaczynski did but not. Kaczynski did not. And part of the problem was that he didn't, uh, like Williams, when he graduated, went on to law school. Kaczynski didn't do that. Kaczynski went into mathematics. He not only went into mathematics, he went into a field where his work could only be appreciated by about eight people on Earth. So there was virtually nobody he could talk to about his work, his great achievements, or um, his uh, intellectual concerns. Is this the beginning of the explanation as to why he acted out his anger by killing people where most people who are angry and have homicidal thoughts never get close to acting them out? Right, right. Uh, that's one of the reasons. Uh, one of the reasons was because he had a social theory about technology or technological society which justified his anger and justified acting on it. That is to say, becoming a revolutionary. The other aspect, again, it's an idea he picked up at Harvard, which played a, a huge role in, in encouraging him to take the step that most people would never take of actually building bombs intending to hurt or kill people, was the theory, the philosophical theory, very popular at Harvard and at many college campuses among the faculty, in the 1950s, uh, the philosophy known as logical positivism. This was the doctrine that only scientific statements are meaningful. Only statements which are empirically testable or verifiable are meaningful. And since moral or ethical judgments are not empirically or scientifically provable, they are meaningless. A moral judgment is simply a subjective expression of emotion. This notion Kaczynski absorbed literally, virtually word for word, as I just said it. And we, in fact, we can find, and I quote in my book, examples of his own essay that he wrote for Professor Murray the fall of his sophomore year, 
where he expresses the positivist theory in a very literal way. And then we see it again and again. First of all, he carried on a philosophical debate with his younger brother, David, for decades over this question. David would, in the letters to Ted, would repeatedly accuse him of being a positivist. Then we do see also, when Ted Kaczynski was bombing people, he kept these elaborate notes, diaries, in code. And in his coded diaries, after one of his bombs had injured or killed someone, he would confess, and of course he was writing it to himself, but he would confess as though he was ashamed of it. He'd say, I confess I'm feeling some guilt over what I did. And then immediately he would catch himself and say, oh, but I know that I shouldn't feel guilty because guilt is a merely a subjective emotion or moral Conscience is merely a subjective emotion and without rational foundation. Were you ever able to talk with Kaczynski about those passages? No, because uh, the ground rules he'd set up for my corresponding with him was not to discuss anything related to the trial or his crimes at, at all, because he was, at that time, uh, hoping to get a new trial. Uh, we could talk on the philosophical level. In fact, our correspondence was perhaps um, uh, largely philosophical, but uh, not specifically related to these entries in his diaries, which were entries which had been submitted to the court uh, by the prosecution as evidence. And I might add that many of the um, passages that I quote in my book, I did not come by until considerably later. Uh, too late to discuss them with him anyway, but he wouldn't have discussed them with me. Let's uh, talk about the trial and how it evolved and your interpretations of it. But first, this week on Radio Curious, we're talking with Professor Alston Chase, who is a writer and an independent scholar specializing in intellectual history. He has a recent book called Harvard and the Unabomber, the Education of an American Terrorist. It, it's the story of Ted Kaczynski. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Alston, tell us about the trial and how it evolved. There's a number of paradoxes involved in the whole arrest and trial story. Number one, because uh, before, uh, back in September of 95, when the uh, Washington Post published the Unabomber Manifesto, but the authorship of the manifesto was not known, many people and many of the national magazines were hailing the work as a work of genius, uh, or at least uh, expressing views shared by millions of people. I remember one line I think I quote in the book, uh, I think it was in Time magazine, the line was, uh, there's a little bit of the Unabomber in all of us. So at this time, before Kaczynski was known, his philosophy was hailed as uh, at least... uh, a commonly uh, compendium of commonly held beliefs and, and perhaps even the work of, of genius. Then, in the spring of 96, Kaczynski was arrested and, and charged with being the Unabomber, and here he was, a Harvard graduate, and suddenly this man who was a Harvard graduate and uh, did have a genius IQ, within a short time, people were describing him as a nut, and his ideas as nutty. That transformation was largely a a consequence of what happened shortly after his arrest in the first two years before he went to trial. Part of it was the fact that Kaczynski's 
brother and mother were very anxious to try to see that he would not get put to death for his crimes. The evidence was so overwhelming that his attorneys very quickly decided that the only way he's, his life could be saved would be if they prepared a mental defect defense uh, and suggest that he had behaved the way he had because he suffered from a mental defect. Kaczynski, however, was adamantly opposed to that kind of defense because he wanted the world to take his ideas seriously. And he knew that if his ideas were paraded before the court as the ravings of a madman, that people would not take his ideas seriously. What happened in, in essence was that, first of all, the Kaczynski family, David Kaczynski in particular, and his attorney, Tony Bisegli, conducted a very effective campaign with the media to convince the media that Ted was crazy. There was virtually no clinical evidence that that was so, and the psychiatrist hired by the defense to uh, make that claim and to argue in preparation for the trial, putting together depositions uh, in which they stated that, they, in their view, Kaczynski was a paranoid schizophrenic, that these were based largely on the psychiatrist's judgment of Kaczynski's writings. Well, here, this is the enormous irony. The very writings that Time magazine uh, in 1995 was hailing as stacks of not genius, at least commonplace ideas, by uh, 1997, the defense uh, attorney's psychiatrists were claiming represented paranoid and delusional themes. Yet the court-appointed psychiatrist said that he was not paranoid or delusional. That's right. They wanted to examine him. The defense attorneys said that Kaczynski did not want them to examine him. The prosecution psychiatrists were very skeptical. They thought that probably Kaczynski would very much want them to examine him. Uh, as it turns out later, Kaczynski wrote in his appeal to the court that he was unaware that his own attorneys had turned down, had prevented uh, the prosecution attorneys from speaking with him, and he claims had falsely stated that he had said that he did not want to be examined by them. So Kaczynski ultimately became extremely unhappy with the way in which his own attorneys were conducting the case. Until very late in the fall of 97, Kaczynski apparently, and certainly he claims, did not know that his attorneys were pursuing a mental defect defense in spite of his wishes. So when the trial opened in early January, he claims to have been dumbfounded with a, a trial that was going to go ahead in which his ideas would be, in, in his view, presented to the court as examples of the ravings of a madman. So at that point, he wanted to either fire his defense team and hire a new one or represent himself. It was very complicated, but basically he was at this point looking for an alternative. That was at the behest of uh, his brother and mother to present him as a person with a mental defect. It would be more accurate, I think, to say that his own attorneys felt in good conscience that that was the only uh, mental defect offense was the only one which would have um, saved uh, Ted from uh, the lethal injection needle. And that the family was desperate uh, and understandably desperate to save their son and brother from the death penalty. In fairness to them, they sincerely believed this, that Ted was suffering from 
a mental defect. But that's not the way it turned out with his guilty plea. No, what happened ultimately was that Kaczynski asked the court if he could represent himself. The Constitution seems to be clear on this point that if a person is judged competent, that that accused has the constitutional right to direct his own defense. And so the judge, therefore, ordered a competency examination by a a forensic psychiatrist who was acceptable to both the prosecution and defense attorneys. That psychiatrist was a Dr. Sally Johnson. She then examined Kaczynski and concluded that Kaczynski was mentally competent. Therefore, uh, when the court reconvened, everyone in the courtroom except the judge expected the judge to rule that, yes, Kaczynski could go ahead and represent himself. Instead, the judge astounded everyone by uh, denying the request. Why do you think that occurred? There's a lot of speculation as to why it occurred. Uh, One of the clear reasons the judge denied the request was because he wanted a speedy trial, and he thought that this would delay the trial, and he accused Kaczynski of of, uh, asking for this uh, request to represent himself merely out of a mischievous desire to to hold up and slow up everything and just cause problems. Certainly, the judge was interested in having a speedy trial. He knew that if Kaczynski were allowed to represent himself, that several months of work that had been done by the defense attorneys and all the pretrial preparation would have to be redone, and uh, he didn't want that to go through that. There's been some speculation, for example, by William Finnegan in The New Yorker, uh, that some suspect that the judge uh, was chastened by the experience of Judge Lance Ito in the uh, uh, O.J. Simpson case, and Judge Burrell, the the presiding judge in the Kaczynski case had no desire to have his courtroom turned into a, some kind of circus, and he was afraid that that might happen. That has been a speculation. Others have speculated that virtually nobody wanted a show trial. That is to say, no one wanted a, to have a trial that would be essentially a trial on Kaczynski's ideas, and yet that's precisely what Kaczynski wanted. Whatever the case, or the speculations on the on the uh, Judge Burrell's motives for doing this, who say his stated reasons were he thought that Kaczynski was not very serious about this, that he was just petitioning to represent himself to cause trouble. Whatever the case, by the judge ruling this way, it meant that the trial would go forward in which mental defect evidence would be admissible during the penalty phase of the trial, and Kaczynski found this so abhorrent and so much undermining his effort to convince the world of his truth of his philosophy that he capitulated and, and uh, pled guilty. Agreed, he agreed to uh, plead guilty to the, the crimes for which he was accused and be sentenced to life in prison uh, rather than be put to death and without the possibility of parole. At that point, the family was relieved because at least he was not going to get the death penalty. His attorneys had achieved what uh, they felt was the maximum they could achieve, which was simply to see that he was not put to death. Kaczynski felt he was put in an impossible situation. Uh, He expressed later, and I I quote a letter he wrote to that effect. What did he feel then about the resolution? Well, he was extremely unhappy with it. uh, Would he he have preferred death? Yes. He said explicitly he would have preferred death. 
He would have preferred a trial based on his ideas, which would most likely have been, uh, the outcome of which would most likely have been his being put to death. And he would have preferred that, he said, to a life in prison. Michael Mello is a law professor at the um, Vermont Law School who's um, written a book on the trial comparing the trial of Ted Kaczynski with the trial of John Brown, the man who raided Harper's Ferry back before the Civil War and was arrested. He was an abolitionist, John Brown was, and was, was attempting to, to instigate uh, or ignite a slave rebellion in the South by uh, invading this armory at Harper's Ferry in Virginia, what was then Virginia, now West Virginia. Bello, by the way, had served uh, in a small way with the Kaczynski defense team. And and Mello was very unhappy and felt Kaczynski was, rights were violated by the way in which the trial played out, or the non-trial played out, uh, a view which I, by the way, share. But Mello pointed out that exactly the same situation up to a point existed with John Brown. When Brown was arrested, his attorneys told him the only way he could escape the death penalty would be to plead insanity. But Brown refused to do so, knowing that if he pleaded insanity, that there would be many people who would say his abolitionist ideas were merely the ravings of a madman, and it would undermine the cause of abolitionism. So Brown insisted on a trial which did not use a mental defect or insanity plea, and he was indeed found guilty and put to death. Uh, so uh, Brown had the, at least his attorneys, uh, gave uh, acceded to Brown's wishes, according to Mello. The attorneys for Kaczynski did not accede to Kaczynski's wishes and the, of the same kind. Well, Professor Alston Chase, I want to thank you for joining us uh, again on Radio Curious. And before we close, uh, maybe you just did, but could you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately? an eclectic reader. And this one's a book by a, a couple of biologists at the Hampshire College, a husband and wife, the last name is Coppinger, titled Dogs. And it's on the evolution of dogs and how they evolved from wolves, applying very, very good science to a subject to which very little good science has been applied in the past, despite the fact that we all love dogs, there doesn't seem to be much good and hard science on the evolution of dogs. And this book fills, a, I think, a very important gap. Well, Professor Alston Chase, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. Thank you. Alston Chase is the author of Harvard and the Unabomber, The Education of an American Terrorist. The interesting book he recently read is Dogs, by two professors named Coffinger from Hampshire College in Massachusetts. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious are available. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. 
I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. <laughs>